Let us come to God once more in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight and be touched by your Holy Spirit, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Last week, we began our new sermon series on the kingdom of God, and we read from chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, wherein we saw the pattern of the kingdom as detailed here on screen, where the kingdom of God is God's people right. living in God's place on right, God and enjoying God's blessing. We saw that God made mankind in his own image and then placed humanity in a garden to tend it and care for it, with only one rule under which they were to fulfill their mandate, thus living within God's ways and under his care, enjoying his blessing, enjoying his presence, enjoying his rest. And life was perfect. There was perfect relationship between humanity and God, between Adam and Eve, and between humanity and the wider creation. It was a perfect time described as very good, and it gave the pattern of the kingdom of God. But can I ask, do you feel that perfection? Is life a bunch of rosy relationships and experiences for you? Are you living the dream? I do hope life is good for you, but even if it is, not one of us escapes the brokenness of our world. There may be tensions at home or in the family. It's easy to roll out of bed and straight into an argument at the beginning of the day. Or maybe you are on your own with a different kind of brokenness, with a yearning for companionship, maybe where there has never been one or maybe where one has been lost. You may experience that brokenness in your place of work or in the community, with the people you see and interact with. There's that individual you just don't get on with. There's that feeling you don't matter or you're being overlooked. There's that guy down the road who's in a really dark place. There's that young family who come to the food bank. And in the midst of all that hurt and brokenness, there's maybe a question, a frustration which comes to mind where are you, God? Do you exist? Do you care? Because I just don't feel you very close right now. I think we all know that we live in a broken world, that it's not quite as it should be, that there is something deeply wrong, but it's not only around us, it's also within us. Because if we're honest, we can't even live up to our own standards and hopes. We made that promise to change, and well, we've still not changed. We want to be more loving and gracious and kind, but well, criticism just comes so much more easily. There's something deeply wrong, and it's not only in the world around us, it's within us as well. And I'm sure you can put your finger on the things you feel that brokenness. 
The claim of the Christian faith is that here in Genesis 3, we see where it all began to go wrong, where that brokenness entered in. For in Genesis 3, we're taken back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in perfection, with only one rule given in Genesis 2. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then Genesis 3 comes along where Adam and Eve are persuaded to doubt God's word. It is distorted. It is questioned by the serpent, such that God's motives are distorted as well. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Adam and Eve give way to temptation. They take and eat the fruit of the tree, that fruit which was forbidden. But the thought maybe comes to mind for us, why was that so bad? Really, is it a big deal? Surely even it's good to know the difference between right and wrong. But what we have to understand here is that the knowledge of good and evil refers not simply to knowing what is right and wrong, but rather to deciding what is right and wrong. In taking the fruit, Adam and Eve were in effect saying to God, from now on, we want to set the standards, God. We're calling the shots. We're the ones who are making the law. It was a blatant act of rebellion to the king who had gave them life and every good gift. And that has been at the heart of our problem ever since. That is at the heart of what we call sin, our rejection of God and the establishing of our kingdom. And maybe that seems like no big deal to you. Maybe it seems quite trivial or even made up. But the brokenness of our world, of our lives, begins here in Genesis 3, and it ripples out. For with Adam and Eve, where there had once been trust and intimacy, that is now gone and replaced with shame and distance. They don't want to have that nakedness seen by one another, and so they clothe themselves with some sown fig leaves. And then the battles of the sexes begins. It wasn't me, God, it was him. It wasn't me, God, it was her. And relationships within humanity are forever broken. Also, where Adam and Eve once enjoyed the perfect creation and life was very good, now God foretells that life will be very different with greater pain, greater toil, greater wrestling with the issues of evil. Indeed, in the chapters after this, the world just goes to pot. It falls off a cliff. Everything goes horribly wrong. But finally, Adam and Eve, who once enjoyed perfect relationship with God, wherein they experienced his blessing and rest, now they're told to leave the garden. They are driven out of God's presence. And with that breaking of the divine human relationship, what God foretold comes true. Death comes into human experience. The pattern of the kingdom is lost. And now no one is God's people by nature. We've turned away from him. And we no longer live in his place. We are banished from the garden. And instead of living under his rule and enjoying his blessing, 
we now reject his rule and we live in disobedience and so we experience the brokenness of our world. And that's where the Bible could have ended. It could have been three and a half pages long with a perfect world destroyed by human rebellion. But God is a gracious God, is he not? And whilst there is no reason he should do anything to help us, he nevertheless does. And he does so even here in chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. There's still hope here in the chapter we have read. For in the darkness there are glimmers of light. In verse 9 we read, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? This comes straight after their rebellion. Adam and Eve are trying to hide from Almighty God, which is just ridiculous, don't you think? And yet he comes seeking. He comes calling. He comes in grace. Where are you? Come here. At the opposite end of the tale, there is grace once more, for God takes those shabby, pathetic coverings of their fig leaves and he replaces them. We read in verse 21. The Lord God, or we read in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God gives them what they need. They need a more fitting and proper covering for the life that will now be lived outside the garden. It's an act of grace, but it's one that required a life to be laid down so that humanity could continue to live. And then between those two acts of grace, in verse 15, we read, the Lord God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In grace, God makes a promise, hinting of a time in the future when a son of Eve, a human being, will destroy evil. Three acts of grace. And all three acts of grace are completed and displayed in their fullest measure in the life of Jesus. He is that son of Eve, but also that son of God who came to destroy evil, who came to destroy sin and hell and death itself. In Jesus, we find provision, a covering wherein guilt and condemnation, wherein shame are dealt with and we are restored into right relationship with God. In Jesus, we also find our freedom from our bondage to sin, that rebellion and disobedience, so that through faith in Jesus, God begins a new life in us to overcome our internal brokenness and bring forth the character of Christ. And what's more, God promises in Jesus, evidences even in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, that death is conquered. Death does not have the final say. In him there is a means to return to the garden, to the place of life, and share in life eternal with God. In Jesus, life can and does begin again. And it does so because he laid down his life for us, for you and for me on the cross. Finally, Jesus came to us. 
And he still comes to us even today, seeking us, calling us, inviting us back into relationship with himself. That even amidst the brokenness we feel every day, there might be hope. There might be hope in that promise of a future day when all will be made right once more. And to share in that hope, we need to do nothing more than what Caroline has done. Not in becoming a church member, that's not how you share in the promise. No, we share in the promise through faith, through faith in Jesus, through confessing Him as our Lord and Savior, to which Caroline testified this day as she confirmed her faith. And to all who claim such a faith, there is hope and there is invitation to the meal of this table, the Lord's Supper. For here we feast and rejoice in all we have in Jesus, for He is the embodiment of God's grace amidst our brokenness and the means by which the pattern of the kingdom will one day be restored. Friends, I hope you share in this faith. I hope that you have this hope. But if you don't, if you couldn't say Jesus is my Lord and Savior yet, it's only one step away. All you need to do is put your faith in Him, turn to Him, and He'll welcome you with open arms. And if that's something you'd like to do today, come speak with me after the service, and I can help you take that step. To God be all glory, now and forever. Amen.